about to get into part four of our series called Another in the Fire. This has been a series in the book of Daniel. And what's so great about God's timing is that God has just been expanding our view of him. In this series, we've been learning that God is so big that he can be trusted with our biggest problems. We've learned that God's bigger than the biggest person in the room. He's bigger than global empires. He's bigger than global pandemics. And we've learned that just like Daniel, who was taken away from his home and transplanted to a kingdom called Babylon that he didn't want to be part of, God had a plan for his life. And God has a plan for you, even if you're going through things that you don't want to be going through. Well, let me tell you a kind of funny self-deprecating story about myself and how much I don't like unexpected change. I don't know if you like unexpected change. Most people don't, if we're honest about it. We don't like unexpected change. Here's a picture of a burrito, because my story has to do with a burrito. I had this burrito that I just absolutely loved. I loved it for the taste and the flavor, but I also loved it because it had a lot of really healthy ingredients. And I found it at a time in my life when I was getting my diet and exercise all put together. And I ate this burrito, I mean, multiple times a week for like about a year or two. And then one day I showed up. You're not going to believe this, people. The burrito was no longer available. Oh my goodness. Have you ever had this happen? Maybe you had a favorite item on a menu at your favorite restaurant. All of a sudden they didn't serve it. Here's the embarrassing truth about me. The day that my burrito wasn't there, I I don't cry often, but I teared up. I actually texted my wife, Mel, and I said, babe, they don't have my burrito and I hate to admit this, but I'm kind of tearing up right now. Well, I wonder if you can relate to that feeling of unexpected or unwanted change. Maybe it's that your youngest has gone off to college and the change is that that bedroom is empty. Maybe the change is your body as it ages. Maybe the change is your job is not going as you thought it would. Or maybe just going out on a limb here, the change is that there's a global pandemic and all the grocery store shelves are empty and you don't know what to do. Here's the question we're asking for your life today. How do you survive when unexpected changes rock your world? I don't know what the unexpected change is that's rocking your world right now, but I know that there's change going on for all of us right now. And if we're honest, wouldn't we all like to know the answer to this question? I mean, even watching from home, you can just raise your hand if you're like, yes, I would like to know the answer to that question. I know I do. So let's look in the Word of God together to learn how do we survive and how do we actually even thrive when unexpected change rocks our world. Well, let's continue in Daniel. We're going to find God's answer to this question. You can apply it to your life today. Starting in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom. Now, just wait a minute here. If you've been with us in this study of Daniel, the king's name isn't Darius, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Well, guess what? change has happened. Unexpected change, unwanted change. Nebuchadnezzar's not the king anymore. In fact, the kingship has turned over a couple times, and now Daniel is serving a new king. And we talked about how these kings, you know, they were impulsive, and they would have the people around them killed. Daniel, now multiple kings have changed. In fact, decades have gone on. Daniel's an old man. So Darius the Mede, he's not Babylonian. So not only did Daniel's boss change, 
But the entire kingdom changed, a global change with what was the world's largest empire. And now this new boss, who's changing everything, decides to divide the kingdom. This kingdom that Daniel's been overseeing for probably about 60 years at this point, he's gonna divide it into 120 provinces. You can imagine that Daniel and everyone else who worked in the palace had their opinions. Should he be doing this? Should he not be doing this? He appoints a high officer and ruler over each of these provinces. Now the king chose Daniel and two others, so there's three total, as administrators, supervisors, to protect the king's interest. Now let me pause here. Employment is not our primary focus today, but there's so much for you to learn uh, as an employee representing Christ in your workplace from Daniel's life. And I would just encourage you in your Life Application Study Bible, which by the way, we have these still at our church building. Guess what? Our doors are still open and during office hours, we'd love to give you one of these Life Application Study Bibles. We've also got pastors here if you just need someone to pray with you. But you can learn so much in the book of Daniel about being an exceptional employee. This is part of why Daniel was always getting promoted because he protected the king's interests. Now these were pagan kings, but Daniel knew if God put me in this position, I'm gonna always look out for the interests of my boss. Guess what? You do that, you will get promoted no matter what industry you're in. Daniel soon found himself more capable, proved himself more capable than all the other administrators. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place Daniel over the entire empire. Well, as you can imagine, when the king says, I'm gonna make Daniel over everything, guess what? His peers, his coworkers get jealous. Verse four, the other administrators and high officers, they begin looking for some way they can trip Daniel up because he keeps getting promoted and they don't. They're looking for some way to find fault with him, but look at verse five, they couldn't find any way, verse five, to criticize or condemn him. He was faithful. He was always responsible. He was completely trustworthy. And again, shouldn't this be true of every follower of Jesus in our workplaces? And right now, in workplaces where things might be unsettled, what a time for you as a follower of Jesus to show that you're faithful, that you're responsible, that you're completely trustworthy. Well, Daniel's peers, his uh, fellow employees who want to trip him up, they finally decide, you know what? Our only chance of messing Daniel up would be his religion. I mean, he's so committed to God. We can't find any fault in his work performance. So they go to the king, verse six, and they say, long live King Darius. And now I'm gonna summarize what they say. They appeal to King Darius's ego and they say more or less, hey, King Darius, sign this law that people can't pray to any other God. And if they pray to another God, they have to be fed to the lions, right? These people didn't wanna take any chances. They wanted Daniel to be torn apart and devoured by lions because they were jealous and they were greedy. Anyone who disobeys the law will be thrown into a pit with lions. Verse nine, King Darius signs the law. So here's the question, what's Daniel gonna do? You talk about unexpected change. Here's the unexpected change. Daniel, if you keep praying to the God who you've been worshiping for 60, 70 years, you're gonna be fed to lions. There's, there's no gray area in this. It's completely black and white. Daniel, what are you gonna do now that it's illegal to pray to your God? Let's see in verse 10 what Daniel does. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed and Daniel knows what it means, 
he went home, he knelt down, and as usual, in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem, he began to pray. He began to worship God as he always had. And the verse continues, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. So part of why Daniel has been so successful, so blessed, is that every day of his life, three times a day, the number three in the word of God has this symbolism of completion. It's also when we eat, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The point is Daniel is making God his priority. He's looking to God consistently every day. He's giving thanks to God in the good times, in the hard times. So let's return to you and your life. Let's return to this question. How do you survive? How do you even thrive when unexpected changes rock your world? Are you ready for the answer from God's word? Here it is. Focus your thoughts on God. Now, I know you might be thinking, oh yeah, John, really easy. Focus my thoughts on God. I'm gonna tell you how to do this, but here's the point. If you'll do this, if you will focus your thoughts on God, guess what? Your problems will shrink. I mean, your problems will, your view of them, they will look smaller and smaller and smaller as you focus on God. You say, oh, John, that sounds too good to be true. I'm not making this up, okay? The word of God is telling us this. Daniel proves this, right? When that law got passed, Daniel could have said, oh, the world's over. I mean, can you imagine what the Facebook feed looked like after this law was passed, right? Oh, I think the law's a hoax. Oh, here's what I think about the law. Everyone has their opinion about the law. Daniel could have spent all day going around asking everyone, what's your opinion about the law? How do you feel about the law? What's your opinion about the law? What does Daniel do instead? He focuses his thoughts on God. The point is, this is why Daniel was a great ruler. This is why Daniel was a great man. This is why Daniel is an example to us in his faith because he would focus his thoughts on God no matter how much the world shaked around him. It didn't matter. The world could be going crazy around him. His mind was just fixed on God. You can do this. You can do this. No matter what's going on in your world, you can do this. And I wanna help you do this. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, John, Daniel can do this. You're a pastor. Maybe you have this magical ability to focus on God when life is hard. But John, I'm just normal. My emotions are overwhelming, and I don't know how to focus my thoughts on God. Let me show you from the physical world, this is so fascinating, how you can control how big or small God looks to you. Remember, in this series and in this world right now, we've got to see God bigger. And you're like, okay, John, I want to see God bigger, but I don't know how. Let me show you. This is just fascinating. You're going to find this entertaining from the physical world what's called forced perspective. Here's my first example. Here's a picture of the Eiffel Tower. Now this is not Photoshopped, okay? This is actually taken live. And what it is, it's called forced perspective. You just hold your fingers right in front of the camera and guess what? Because your fingers are right in front of the camera, they look really big. And because the Eiffel Tower's far away, it looks really small. And if you kinda just get it just right, you can make it look like your hand is bigger than the Eiffel Tower. Now, is anyone's hand bigger than the Eiffel Tower? Absolutely not. This is called forced perspective. But guess what? If you look at your Facebook news feed all day, if you look at news articles and how everyone's panicking all day, guess what? 
a global pandemic that is way smaller than our big God, it can look a lot bigger. And the God who's way bigger than your problems, way bigger than your health, way bigger than even mortality and the fact that all of us only have 80 or 90 years in this world, the God who's bigger than all that, he can start to look really, really small if you focus on the wrong thing. Let me give you some other examples of this because I just find this so entertaining. Here's a Starbucks cup, giant Starbucks cup, right? I mean, look at this guy. Wow, poor guy's about to get crushed by this giant Starbucks cup. What's happening here? No, this is a totally normal sized Starbucks cup. And it's just held up right here. You can see the person's finger right in front of the camera. The guy's 40, 50 feet away. Who's bigger, the guy or the Starbucks cup? Which one looks bigger? The one that's closer in focus. Let me give you one more example. I hope the kids are enjoying these. Check out these retro cars in front of this high school here. Pretty cool shot. Now, let me show you the magic of forced perspective if you look at it from a slightly different angle. You see that these are just tiny model cars that are set up on a piece of styrofoam, and it was the perspective in the previous shot that made them look like full-size cars. Here's the point. This isn't even spiritual. This is just a principle of reality. You have the power to make matters bigger or smaller by shifting your perspective. Now, you could take your phone camera and you could go out and do some shifted perspective photos like the ones we looked at. You have the power to make things bigger or smaller by shifting your perspective. It's true in the physical realm. It's true in the spiritual realm. And it's true where the physical and the spiritual overlap, which is in the realm of your thoughts. Whichever you focus on, where you shift your perspective, you can make something very small seem very big, or you could make the biggest thing in the universe, the God of heaven, seem very small. What's the point? If God seems small to you right now, you gotta shift your perspective away from some of the other stuff you've been focusing on. Now again, what we're going through, it's normal to feel unsettled. I guarantee you Daniel felt unsettled when he heard, okay, if I go pray today, they're gonna arrest me, they're gonna throw me in a pit with lions, and I'm gonna get torn apart. I guarantee you he felt all the same emotions that you and I are feeling right now and probably even more, right? I mean, what we're going through is scary, but none of us are guaranteed to be thrown to a lion tomorrow. What Daniel was going through was even worse unexpected change, but he chose to do the right thing. He didn't let his emotions control him. He chose to say, I know that God is bigger. Even if God looks like a tiny Eiffel Tower, I know the Eiffel Tower is bigger than that picture. And so by faith, I believe, and I'm gonna act like God is bigger than my biggest problem because I know he is. And that's what faith is. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. I gotta tell you guys a funny story about a time when I was focused on the wrong thing and it tripped me up. I was at work one day and I was at the top of a, a tall staircase, tall staircase, not padded stairs, and I tripped and I almost fell all the way down the stairs. I mean, it would have been so bad if I had. Do you know why I tripped? Well, it's because of this guy right here. It's because I was walking, looking at a text message and I tripped and I almost tumbled down this huge flight of hard metal stairs. What's the point? Well, if you're focused on the wrong thing, you'll get tripped up. Now, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of you because right now, 
you're focused on the right thing. You've got the word of God open. You've opened your heart to it. And I just want to encourage you each day this next week, say, God, I want to see you as bigger and then fill your mind. So let me give you now, I want to give you three ways to see God bigger. Three really practical things. You can start doing them today. You can write these down. You can take notes at home there. You can write these down and you can do these every day this week so that you see God as he actually is, which is way bigger. Here's number one. You continually reset your view that God is bigger. Just like that picture where the finger looked way bigger than the Eiffel Tower, when a new problem, when an unexpected change comes into our life, guess what? It seems bigger in the moment. And that's totally normal. And so it's a choice. It's a a daily discipline to say, I've got to reset my view daily. Uh, Yeah, all those numbers might be true and, and things governments are doing, all that's true. But I know my God is bigger. And so I'm going to reset my view. I'm going to remind myself that God is bigger. You know, it says in our text that Daniel knelt down three times daily. In other words, this was his way of life. Three times every day, he was resetting his view that God was bigger than his biggest problem. And for me, I know I need more than three times. I need throughout the day that I'm reminding myself God's bigger. And by the way, I want to encourage you here, don't don't beat yourself up if you're not perfect at this. I'm not perfect at this. Uh, It's kind of like things will start to get out of control and I'll start to feel a lot of fear or anxiety and the Holy Spirit will kind of prompt me and remind me, you know what, John? It's been a while since you've reset your view. You need to actually open up the Bible and read a chapter. You need to actually turn on some worship music and just fill your mind with some melodies and some scriptural words that remind you how big God is. Let me give you a a few simple ways to do this. I mentioned worship music, uh, listening to messages like this at our website, connectionpoint.org. We've got dozens of messages. And by the way, underneath most messages, you can click on small group study and there's questions to go deeper. So you might even, while the kids are home from school, just decide, hey, you know, once a day or every other day, we're going to watch a message. We're going to go through that small group study together. These are ways for you to fill your mind with a big view of God. And as you do, you'll see that your problems shrink because you see God as big as he actually is. I also want to encourage you parents and grandparents with your kids or your grandkids. This is such an important time to be praying with them. And if you're physically able to even kneel in prayer, why, why is kneeling important? Well, you know, it doesn't make it more spiritual per se, but I find kneeling important because it, it's a humility thing, right? It's, it's like I'm bowing before God, but yet, you know what else? You can't really run around and do a lot when you're kneeling. And for me, kneeling, and if you can't kneel physically, here's the point spiritually. It's saying, God, I, I'm not trusting in my strength. I'm not trusting in my resources. I'm not trusting in my abilities. I'm, I'm just kneeling here and I'm fully dependent on you, God. You're the one who gives daily bread. You're the one who protects me. You're the one who provides for me. And what an opportunity we have right now to kneel multiple times a day or at the very least once a day, morning or night, and just say, God of heaven, you're the one who provides for me. And parents and grandparents, what an opportunity to gather our kids or our grandkids and say, let's kneel before the God of heaven. Let's ask him, God, will you protect our nation? Would you be with our healthcare workers? Would you be with the people who are driving ambulances right now? Would you be with every first responder? 
And in these coming weeks, as there's more and more cases, most likely, of this virus, would you just protect them? Would you give them strength? God, would you protect our nation? Would you protect our church specifically? And the people in our community who are at risk, the God of heaven hears. And Daniel had a big view of God because three times a day he kneeled before him and he brought him all of his problems. And as the text said, he also thanked God. Well, let me give you a second way to connect or to see God as bigger. It's this, continue connecting others to Christ. I love how the verse said that Daniel kept doing what he had always done. Now, as a church, we have a mission statement. It's connecting people to Jesus and to each other. Are we gonna stop doing that because there's a global pandemic? Absolutely not. We will always be connecting people to Jesus and each other. In fact, what we do is more important than ever, and we've got new opportunities to connect. I mean, there's people who are realizing their mortality and that they need eternal life, they need peace. And so what we do as a church hasn't changed at all. And I'm really excited in the coming weeks for us to use email and text and even smaller group gatherings at our building in times of prayer. And as you continue to gather with your small group, I'm excited to see God use you and me in ways we never expected to reach people and to give them eternal life. Well, let me give you three examples. You might be like, what does this look like? How do I connect people to Jesus right now? Here's a true story. I read about this one in the news. A girl named Rebecca Mira, she started by tweeting this out and then a bunch of people were retweeting it and news stations picked it up. And she tells this story that she went to the grocery store in Oregon where she lives and as she's walking in, she heard a woman yell to her from her car. She says, I walked over and I found an elderly woman and her husband. As she cracked down the car window a little bit, and explained to me nearly in tears that they were afraid to go into the store. Maybe you're overcome with fear right now, but if you're not, I can guarantee you there's some people on your street who are. There's some people you know who are. And if you're not overcome by fear, I wanna encourage you to be like Rebecca, because what she did is she said, hey, uh, why don't you guys pass me your shopping list through the little crack in the window? And they passed her the shopping list and about $100 in cash. Rebecca went into the store. She bought all the things that they want because this elderly couple, they knew from everything they're reading, were the most at risk. She brought their groceries out. She put them in the trunk of their car. She passed the change back through the window. And I love this picture of Rebecca here because look at her smile. I just want you to think about this. How much do people need a smile right now? And because you know the God of heaven, you come to him daily and say, God, give me peace. Help me with my anxiety. But then God, send me out there with a big old smile on my face. Because there's people on my street who need someone to shop for them or someone to just assure them that, you know what? A year from now, we're gonna look back. And this will have been like September 11th or another crisis. And we're gonna look back and everything will be back to normal. Everything's gonna be okay. There's people in your life who need a smile like this. My wife, Mel, told me a story just yesterday. She'd be embarrassed that I'm telling you guys, but she was at the grocery store yesterday. And she said in front of her in line, you know, some of the grocery stores have been chaotic lately. In front of her in line was a, a young mom and, and she had the cart full of food and this young mom was clearly just really, really anxious. And the mom was fidgeting with food, getting it on the conveyor belt there for the checkout. 
And she had this little box of those small tomatoes and she dropped it on the ground and the tomatoes scattered everywhere. And she just about started to lose it. And, and Mel just, just kind of patted her on the back and said, hey, hey, it's okay. You know, why don't you just go get another box of tomatoes? I'll pick these up. And, and the young mom said, well, what about all my stuff? I'm going to hold up the line. She said, no, no, I'll, I'll just put your stuff on the conveyor belt. You run and get another box. I'll put your stuff on. I'll clean them up. Smallest little thing. And Mel would be the first to tell you she's not perfect. She's not fearless. Why was she able to be a light in a time of darkness to that other young mom? Because very simply, she knows that the God of heaven is bigger. He's the one who provides for us. He's got a great plan to use us at this time. And I just want to encourage you, whether it's an elderly couple at a grocery store, a neighbor on your street, someone you meet in the grocery store, God wants to use you to connect other people to him. Uh, just this morning, Mel and I found out that one of our neighbors who are older than us have severe, severe flu-like symptoms right now. And we've been able to text with them and say, hey, we'll drop off some Gatorade at your garage. Let us know anything you need from the grocery store. I just want to encourage you, look for the opportunities because just like God placed Daniel in Babylon, God placed you here and now, he's going to protect you. You're going to survive, but don't miss out. He's got things for you to do. He's got people for you to help, people for you to smile at and show a little hope to let me give you uh, an idea I had. And I think some of you, I know many of you will come up with better ideas than me. But here's my coronavirus survival kit, okay? Now, this isn't for me. This is for my neighbors. What do I have here? I've got a shoebox. I've got a roll of toilet paper because right now, a roll of toilet paper is worth more than a bar of cold. What, what a way to tell your neighbor you love them, to give them a roll of toilet paper, We've got these cards printed up, and we'll have these in the lobby of our building in Brownsburg. You can pick these up starting on Tuesday. These cards say, you're not alone. I'm one of your peeps. And we've got thousands of individually wrapped peeps, you know, the Easter candy, a peep, that you can put in there. I should have brought one out to show you. We'll have peeps in the lobby. We'll have this card. I wrote a handwritten note that just says, neighbor, I'm across the street. I'm available to get you you know, toilet paper, groceries, anything you need. Here's my cell phone number. Uh, and then we've even got Easter invites. We've got some inspirational Christian books you can drop in there. Think about, God, how can you use me? I mean, just think, if you gave something like this to your four closest neighbors, what's the point? The point is to let them know, I'm here for you. I care about you. Let me know if you need something. Here's what I can guarantee you. As a church family, there's thousands of us with combined resources that, that are really something when we all come together. I guarantee you, no one in our church family, none of our neighbors will go hungry, or hopefully even not without toilet paper, if we all just reach out to the people around us and say, I'm here to help. And then through our church email, we will communicate with each other to make sure that we're able to get supplies to people who need them. Which, by the way, if you're not yet getting that, do text the word email to 317-350-1996. Why do I say that? Because this is such a rapidly developing situation. We've got a team that met this morning with you know, county health leaders, medical doctors from our churches, other leaders in this area from our church, all, all coming up with a whole bunch of response plans, ways that you can help. And especially if you're older or vulnerable, ways you can be helped. And it's through our church-wide email that you'll be able to communicate your needs and help others who are in need. We are going to experience a big God together. Well, let's wrap up by 
continuing the story because Daniel did the right thing. So what's going to happen? Is he going to get fed to the lions or not? Some of you already know the answer, but let's get into God's word and see the answer in verse 16. So at last, the king gives the orders for Daniel to be arrested. Now, there's a lot more here in Daniel 6 that I'd encourage you to study. But the point is this, the king knows about Daniel's faith. And he says, may the God whom you serve so faithfully, may he rescue you, Daniel. I I can't even rescue you as the king. Well, look at verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. So this den was probably a pit of some sort where it's a cave that goes down and the lions are in there. They throw Daniel in. Uh, We know from future verses it goes down. They throw him in, and then they roll a stone over. And Daniel's going to be in there all night with the lions. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. No human could. But guess who can? The God of heaven. The God of heaven can rescue you when you feel like, you know what, I'm trapped in a dark place. I'm trapped in a dark place and it's almost like someone has rolled a rock over it. No human could help me in this place that I'm in. Guess what? The God of heaven can. The God of heaven will as you continue to trust in him. Verse 18, the king returned to the palace. He actually ends up praying for Daniel all night. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king rushes out to the lion's den Verse 20, when he got there, he calls out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God. Isn't that awesome? Like even Daniel's non-believing pagan neighbors, they knew that Daniel was the servant of the living God. What a chance we have right now for our neighbors to know that person from Connection Point, they are a servant of the living God. Was your God whom you serve so faithfully Was he able to rescue you from the lions? I can just imagine this king, they roll the rock away. It's dark down in there. There's no electricity. They can hear the lions moving around and all the usual smells because they're probably feeding people these lions regularly. And I doubt anyone's going in there to shovel out what the lions do. But the point is the the king is smelling it and it's dark. And, And almost with trembling voice, with optimism, he says, you know, was your God whom you serve? I mean, it's impossible, but... You've said he's such a great God. Was he able to save you? I just imagine this silence for just half a second. Suspense hanging in the air. And then the king hears this echoey human voice come up from this pit of lions. Long live the king. Verse 21. Then Daniel continues, verse 22. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. Now, God didn't protect Daniel from going in the lion's den. In fact, I imagine that as Daniel was in there in the dark after the stone was rolled over and it's pitch black, he's hearing these things walk around him. The lions are pacing around him, but God holds the lion's mouth shut. I don't know where the lions are pacing around you. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I have a lung condition or I'm of the wrong age or I have a child with an immune deficiency and you just feel the lions pacing around you. Or maybe for you, it's not physical. It's just the emotional anxiety. You just feel the lions pacing around you. 
I was talking this last week with a friend who works in the aviation business, and, and he just knows that the airline he works for, I mean, they're going to have to be laying people off, and the lion is just pacing around him. How am I going to provide for my family? What am I going to do? God brought you to this message to tell you he can hold the lion's mouth closed. You serve a God who can hold the lion's mouth closed. And Daniel says, my God was with me. Didn't mean I didn't have to go through hard stuff, but he was with me. And even as I could hear the lions pacing around me, he held their mouths shut. And you know what? Part of your life in this world that's broken by sin is having a story that you're able to tell the other people, the lion was pacing around me, but God held its mouth shut. And Daniel says, in the end, God's the one who judges me as guilty or innocent. And I love verse 23, the king, this pagan who didn't believe in God, now believes in Daniel's God because of what Daniel had to go through. (laughs) Did you know there's going to be some people in your life as you continue to have faith in a big God, even in the lion's den, there's going to be people in your life who will meet God because you were in the lion's den. And even though you felt fear and anxiety, and even though you heard the lion pacing around you, you continued to believe in your God. And there's gonna be people like King Darius who know God and who end up having eternal life because you went through the lion's den. The king was overjoyed. He ordered that Daniel be lifted out from the den, get him out of there, and not a scratch was found on him. Now, I imagine there was probably some smelly stuff on his clothes, but he was not harmed. And you're gonna have to go through some smelly stuff, but if God decides to protect you, you're not gonna be harmed, for he had trusted in his God. Brothers and sisters, what a chance we have right now to trust in our God. And here's the third way that you can see God is bigger today and this week. Know that God will deliver me. You just claim this as a promise. Now, it doesn't mean you won't go in the lion's den. Doesn't mean you might not find yourself in a hospital bed. Doesn't mean that no lions will circle around you. It means that God will deliver you. He had trusted in his God. You can choose to trust in your God. Your trust doesn't have to be perfect. You just place your trust in a perfect God. This is the good news that we have of salvation, that God will deliver us. Let me encourage you with this. There's two ways that God delivers you. The first is the one that we want, right? It's, well, I never got sick or I got sick and he healed me. And God often does that, very much like he delivered Daniel in this situation. Well, here's the reality. Whether it's coronavirus or cancer or a car accident or just old age, None of us will live in these bodies for more than about 80 or 90 years. This is why you need to know that you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. God offers you the gift of eternal life. He sent his son Jesus into this world so that anyone who believes in him will not perish. What does that mean? When your body dies, it's not the end for you. And you're not separated from God, but you will have eternal life if you believe in him. And so every single one of us watching this, we can be delivered from the coronavirus by trusting in God. It's either in this life 
or it's in the next life. I love the verse in Hebrews. It says that Jesus came to set people free who have been slaves to the fear of death. You don't have to be a slave to the fear of death. I know that's big faith, but guess what? That's the kind of faith God's growing in us. Last week, we talked about Disney, and I talked about the tram. I talked about this reality that when you go to Disney, there's three phases. There's the tram, and then there's the gates, and then there's the kingdom. And we talked about this reality that the tram ride, you know, it's kind of exciting. There's you know, neat fiberglass seats and speakers, but it's not really the point. And we talked about this reality that our entire time on earth is like the tram ride. And whether we're comfortable or not, how things are going for us here, it's just the tram ride. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you know that when you get to the gates, it's going to be welcome home. And if you've served him well, it's going to be well done, good and faithful servant. Because here's the thing, there's a lot of people on the tram in your neighborhood who don't have a ticket into the kingdom right now. And God's going to use you on the tram. You might be uncomfortable on the tram. You might run out of toilet paper on the tram. Things might smell on the tram. The tram might be overcome with people who are acting crazy and losing their minds in a panic. But it's just the tram. And you know you're going to get to those gates. And because you've placed your faith in Christ, you're getting in. But here's the thing. Lift your eyes up. Because there's people across the street from you who don't have a ticket. There's people who don't have the faith of Daniel or the faith that we have in Christ. And so God will deliver you, whether it's in this life or it's going to happen to all of us in the next 50 years at some point, we get to the gates. And we've got our ticket that we placed our faith in Christ. We couldn't have earned our way in, but he bought us when he died on the cross for our sins. And what does it look like once you get through the gates? Well, it's, it's, it's a kingdom. It's beautiful. And I say this ironically because Disney is actually closed for like the only time in its history. But let me tell you something. The kingdom of Christ is never closed. We have a hope that outlasts this life. We have a hope that outlasts the nations. We have a kingdom that will never be shaken. We have a God who will deliver us. And just like Daniel, we don't get to pick, is he gonna deliver me by closing the mouth of the lion? Or is he gonna deliver me by the lion gets me and I wake up in the kingdom of God? And I'm there for all of eternity. And as soon as I get there, I think, what was I so afraid of? This is great. Because of Christ, because of what he did on the cross for you, you do not have to live as a slave of fear. Join me this week in saying, I'm gonna see my God as bigger. And when God seems small, I'm gonna adjust my perspective. Because I know if God seems small, that just means I'm focusing on the wrong things. So I'm gonna continually reset my perspective. I'm gonna be praying, I'm gonna be reading the word, I'm gonna be listening to messages, talking to other believers. I'm gonna be living on a mission. I'm connecting people to Jesus. God, use me in my neighborhood, use me in my workplace. As people get frightened, make me a pillar of strength, make me a light in the darkness. And God, here's what I know, no matter what happens to my body, no matter what happens in the world, I know my God will deliver me. He's the God of heaven and he's bigger than the biggest problems. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I want to thank you for being bigger. I want to thank you that even in this time, you've opened our eyes. You've really, all you've done is brought yourself back into perspective. 
Just like those little, those giant fingers pinching the Eiffel Tower, what has happened in the last 35 minutes is that we just moved our perspective and we saw, God, you're so much bigger. We have nothing to be afraid of. You're still on your throne. Every promise you made in your word still holds true. We have a kingdom that will never be shaken. We have the promise that you'll give us our daily bread, that you'll use us in this world. We're invincible until you've done your work through us. God, do your work through us. We look forward to the gates. We look forward to the kingdom, but you've still got us on the tram. And it's because there's so many people around us who don't know you. Lord, I pray as we walk through these next weeks that many thousands of people will come to know your hope and your eternal life because we were willing to be like Daniel and say, I'm the servant of the most high God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.